Tuesday's midterm elections changed the makeup of Congress. President Trump will face a new challenge now, a divided government with a House of Representatives that has flipped to Democratic control. The new leaders in the House have pledged to serve as a check on the president's power. The liberal Democratic base is counting on them to block his agenda. But with a Republican-controlled Senate, how much can the Democrats in the House really do to come through on that pledge? What approach will House Democrats take to Trump's policy agenda? And with their new oversight power to issue subpoenas and obtain documents, how far will the Democrats go to investigate the president? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. In the days since the election, Democratic leaders have signaled a willingness to actually work with Trump on some more bipartisan agenda items. Yet President Trump's most controversial agenda items will likely face more effective pushback from Democrats in the House. You look at things like building the wall and putting immigration policy in a, in a much more conservative direction. Washington Post congressional reporter Mike DeBonis explains what items are most vulnerable. You look at more tax cuts. The president was talking about middle-class tax cuts. You know, there's still talk of health care and revisiting that issue, I think, less and less by the day. And, you know, you look at more things in the realm of deregulation and environmental policy and things like that. All of that is is going to come to a standstill with a Democratic majority in the House. Does the fact that there is a Republican majority in the Senate help Trump's agenda in any way? Well, it does in one very specific way, which is in terms of his personnel, in terms of his nominations. He's going to have a much easier time with a 53 or 54 seat. Republican majority in the Senate than a 51-seat Republican majority in the Senate. In the current world, one senator, two senators can derail uh, any Trump nominee. And typically that's been, we've looked at Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and, you know, the small group of quote-unquote moderates who get to dictate a lot about what sort of personnel are permissible. Now their voice becomes a lot less important. You're putting in the in the Senate now some very conservative members and, you know, Marsha Blackburn and Mike Braun, uh, looks like Rick Scott. Those are folks who are not going to be speaking up and single-handedly obstructing Trump nominees. All of them benefited from Trump's support. None of them will benefit by standing in the way of who Donald Trump wants to appoint to his administration. So let's talk through some of the specific issues you mentioned. Immigration. Is the idea of a border wall now with a Democratic House completely dead? This was something he couldn't get through with a Republican House. As a standalone thing that they're going to do a bill that they're going to spend $20 billion on a wall, yeah, that's not going to happen. Is it possible that over the course of appropriation negotiations over the next two years that Democrats agree to $1 billion to, you know, they agreed to $1.6 last year? just as, as a part of the yearly appropriations negotiation. There's a world where you see that happening and in turn, Democrats get something else that they really want. And I think that that's, that's the sort of thing we're going to talk about. But this idea of what the, what the president wants to do more 
broadly on immigration, which is completely overhaul the way asylum is handled, change the rules for who gets to come into the country, ending the family-based migration rules. You can go down the list. Democrats don't support really any of those things. And those sorts of things are just not going to be really on the table. Okay. And another legislative area that Trump has focused on has actually been climate deregulation, environmental regulations and fuel efficiency standards that he's rolled back. How effective has he been with a Republican Congress in in passing some of those things? Well, a lot of those things are purely in the regulatory realm. That is that the executive branch can basically take action. They go through their process, the rulemaking process to particularly on climate change, the, you know, the, the clean power plan that Obama did, that didn't go through Congress. That's, that's a rule that the EPA put forth, and now the Trump administration is pulling it back. A lot of the things that Congress did undo were regulations that they can now go back and revisit. I could see the Democratic House doing something, passing resolutions to undo some Trump administration regulations, but those things would not come up in the Senate. Mitch McConnell would not bring those up, so they would not pass. They would be symbolic gestures on the part of the House Democrats. Okay, so another area you mentioned was infrastructure spending. What do you expect the Democrats to do there? I think the, de- the Democrats are, pr- are going to put together s- something probably over the course of the first six months or so that they're in power, and there it's going to be a pretty ambitious, pretty costly proposal to raise money, most likely by undoing some of the Republican tax cuts that went mainly to corporations and and the richest Americans and use that money to do everything. It's not just bridges and roads and tunnels and things like that. It's also they're also talking about, you know, broadband networks, building schools, fixing water pipes and sewer pipes, like a big classic stimulative infrastructure bill that often gets talked about, but rarely goes anywhere because the Republican Party doesn't want to spend the money on it. In what areas does a flipped house just not even matter to a president's agenda? Things like, for example, he can continue to appoint conservative judges, as we talked about, but what things don't require Congress at all? Well, yeah, like anything in terms of executive appointments and nominations, Trump is actually in a better spot now because the Senate is more Republican. Anything that in the realm of rulemaking and regulating, the Trump administration still has very wide latitude to accomplish its policy goals. They'll have oversight to deal with. They'll have Democratic House committees dragging in their secretaries and undersecretaries and and all those people asking, why are you doing this? And they can bring a lot more attention to things that they're doing that they think are going to be unpopular with the public. Then, you know, really the entire realm of national security and foreign policy, the president has huge latitude constitutionally to conduct that as it's as he sees fit, whatever the relationship is with North Korea or Saudi Arabia or any of these other hotspots around the world where Democrats and even a lot of Republicans are scratching their heads. There's not a lot that they can do. I think, you know, Democrats on you know the Foreign Affairs Committee or the. Homeland Security Committee or the Intelligence Committee can hold hearings and, you know, again, drag people in front of the cameras to explain things. But in terms of actually following through on what they want to do, Donald Trump's going to continue doing that in that realm. So then how much does the flipped house really affect Donald Trump's legislative agenda or his agenda overall? 
I mean, it matters. It, you know, he's going to get resistance that he didn't have before uh, in all of these areas. Middle class tax cut that he's talking about. He's going to have to sit at a table and deal with Democrats. And he hasn't had to do that before, especially in the House, where basically majority rules no matter what. Democrats will have the power and there's not a lot Republicans will be able to do to block them. Do we expect then that Trump will come through on his image of a, a deal maker? when working with Democrats? That's the huge question. I mean, there's a lot of speculation about that, but I think that we're going to have to see. I think, you know, I think Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are both also considered deal makers, and they like sitting down at tables and hashing out deals. Nancy Pelosi did it when she was speaker uh, for two years under George W. Bush. Um, But there's a lot of pressure within the Democratic world right now not to give the president any wins. And I think that's going to color a lot of what happens over the next two years. And how might a lack of wins be interpreted by Trump's base? That's a good question. I mean, you can guarantee that the president's going to blame it all on Democrats, say they're obstructionists, they're standing in our way, all of that stuff. But I think that you saw actually in the election results Tuesday that in big parts of the places Trump won, in particular, the upper Midwest, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, to a certain extent. People are not blindly following Trump. And I think that there are doubts and questions about him in those places. And there's an erosion of the faith that a lot of his voters had in him. So between those doubts that some voters are experiencing at this Democratic engagement, will Democrats in the House be motivated to seek investigations into Trump and his administration? Oh, certainly. Without a doubt, they'll be investigating all sorts of things. Each committee, and there are you know 20 standing House committees, can go and cause a lot of issues, you know, making document requests, subpoenas, holding hearings, sending letters, basically putting the administration on its heels in a way that they just weren't for the past two years. Yes, the House Democrats will very likely use their new power to issue subpoenas and lead investigations. But how many investigations? What are their likely targets? And how far will they go? Investigations, definitely. Um, Every investigation under the sun, definitely not. And investigations to lead to impeachment, also definitely not. Karin Demersion is a congressional reporter at The Washington Post who closely covers the intersection of Congress and the judiciary. I mean, you've got to draw a line between the Democrats who are the, you know, strategic leaders, the leaders in Congress who are think, trying to think strategically about, okay, okay, we won this. What can we achieve? We're looking down the line for future elections. We want to stay in the majority. And the fact that Democrats writ large across America are a very different, you know, different category. Democrats writ large across America want the party to go whole hog against President Trump. They want to see them try to push him out of office which they probably can never do because the Senate is, you know, Republican controlled and you need the Senate to actually kick somebody out. Impeaching is just says, let's start the trial. So can you just sort of take a step back and explain why it is the Democrats now have power to pursue investigations? In a sense, like how does Congress work that they now have this power? Right. Well, I mean, the House and the Senate work very, very differently, right? The Senate... The 50-vote threshold matters. Uh, There's also a 60-vote threshold that matters for certain procedural movements. They can filibuster. They can slow things down. They've always said that the Senate is like the cooling chamber for things on Capitol Hill. But the House is definitely the opposite. The House is 
majority fiat. It's if you're in the majority, even by a seat, you can call your shots. You have the majority. That means you have the majority on every committee. That means that you have subpoena authority and you don't usually have to consult with the Republicans at all. Um, Not for the oversight committee, not for intelligence, not for uh, judiciary, not for the ones that have actually been kind of in the in the the thick of these Russia probes and everything else that um, that Democrats have been accusing Republicans of uh, taking a light touch on and trying to pervert in order to block for the president. This is all going to take a lot of time, but you will see the you know the, the, what you saw over the last two years, which is a lot of complaining about why won't the GOP let us do these things? They can now do those things. They can issue those subpoenas. They can make those demands for documents. They can call those witnesses into account. But they're going to be doing it piecemeal, 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 building slow cases towards all of, well, like I said, not all, towards the investigations they choose to pursue that they think will deliver them the most in terms of being able to counter the GOP in 2020 and being able to make sure that Trump isn't reelected in 2020. Now, in the lead up to the midterms, how much did the Democrats run on a promise that they would pursue investigations of the president? And then how much did that promise affect turnout? Um, certainly the party as a whole was promising that. I think the party as a, whole, as a whole was saying, look, the president has gotten away with too much and the GOP has been blocking for him and covering for him and, you know, not living up to its basic oversight authority in order to defer to the president. And they could point at things not just like the Russia probe, but they could point at things like, you know, why haven't the oversight committees dug in deeper to things like um, Ryan Zinke and his use of, you know, the taxpayer dollars basically to fund personal um, personal travel and and other things. I mean, it doesn't always come right back to the president. Um, It can end up at the the footstep, the doorstep of his cabinet members or just in uh, queries about what the policies were. I mean, people were wondering why there hadn't been any serious inquiry of the rise of white supremacy, why there hadn't been any serious inquiry of um, you know, guns in America or even just hearings about this stuff after the Parkland shooting and the argument being, look, if we were just doing our basic oversight authority, we'd at least talk about this in Congress. And it seems like anything the president feels strongly about, the GOP doesn't want to touch. Which investigations are those? What are the Democratic priorities? They're arguing about those right now. <laughs> I don't know why I really. I mean, look, it's going to take some time to sort it out because remember, the Democrats, we, we kind of can guess who's going to be the leaders of each of these committees. But technically speaking, that doesn't happen until January. Probably when we're, again, when we're talking about things like oversight, intel, ways and means, judiciary, the, the really powerful committees that control a lot of the, the, the sensitive information and the information that will dictate you know, what the, the federal law enforcement agencies are able to do, um, they're pretty much set in stone. Um, and um, you're seeing them say, well, we want to look at, you know, not just Russia from the other side, although we want to reopen some parts of the Russia investigation that we think the GOP did poorly, like bring back Kushner to Capitol Hill, like um, Actually look into the threat of the Russian meddling more acutely, like actually look at the president's financial records and his investments and whether there could have been any money laundering by Russian authorities through his businesses. Parallel the super big, dramatic Russia-esque, you know, what's going on behind the North Korea uh, nuclear discussions and all of that. And then these issues that kind of go back to the bread and butter issues that they think will play well close to home. People's bottom line. Everybody knows what rising health care costs feel like. 
and they're still talking about changing the health care law. Um, everybody knows how, you know, it. well, not everybody, but many people know how it feels to pay off um, your loan check, keep writing those every month after you've tried to get a higher education. And these are all things that they think will play close to home for a lot of people. Again, regardless of party is really an important mantra to remember because they have to keep some of these districts that Democrats won, that Trump had won in 2016. If Trump is on the ballot again in 2020 and he's popular and Republicans are mad, that's maybe going to be a higher hurdle to clear than it was just uh, this week. What about Trump's tax returns? Is this something that you think Democrats will demand? Yeah, I think that there's going to be too much pressure not to demand the tax returns. The question is, how long is it going to take? And then what will they actually reveal? Um, The tax returns have been a uh, repeated ask from top Democrats, middling Democrats. It's basically across the party. There's a lot of energy towards getting these out. Um, The heads of the tax writing committees, so um, it's Richard Neal from Massachusetts in the House now, have the ability to request that from the Treasury Department. The Treasury Department has to furnish them. But the catch is that there is no timeline upon which the Treasury Secretary has to furnish them. And Mnuchin is probably going, not going to really want to do that, um, or at least not want to do that in short order and without a court order, which means that we may be looking at a lawsuit. And as we know, lawsuits are long and lugubriously slow um, uh, enterprises. And if that's the case, we could see the, you know, the 2020 election come around before the end of that uh, process actually comes around. So, again, that's a very long and slow process that I'm sure that you will see the Democrats start. Um, whether they finish it is not as clear. So Democrats are avoiding any suggestion that they'll seek impeachment. Why? Why are they doing that? Well, this again goes down to... Who won on what message? It's like the party has been making these arguments, right? But have individual Democrats all won on this argument? I have to confess that I didn't pay close enough attention to absolutely every swing race to know, but my strong feeling is no. I think a lot of people ran on the idea of like, look, these are the things I care about. Yeah, I care about health care and the whole party is talking about that. But, um, but, you know, I'm not just a flunky for the Democrats. And if you make them run on impeachment, because that's all that's in the air, even if they never get to a vote, even if they vote no, if you make them run on explaining impeachment to a population that voted for Trump two years ago and might be inclined to again in another two years, that is a lot more of a risky strategy going forward than trying to do things. And I was talking before about the bread and butter issues, right? Student loans, health care, things like that. If you give them things that they you know, can say, point to that, that match with what their campaign promises were when before they got to Congress, where maybe, you know, newer members can actually make a contribution that's tangible. That's a lot easier to say, hey, we're doing something that's actually mattering to you where you live versus this kind of esoteric impeachment thing, especially, you know, when it's a process that can't go anywhere or cannot come to fruition because of the way the Senate's composed. You can't actually get rid of President Trump. So to the leading Democrats in the House, it's not worth saddling their people with this for a present to the base that can't manifest in any changes. Does the process of even entertaining investigations or the possibility of impeachment actually help Donald Trump in terms of his base? Well, Trump has basically been saying that, you know, he'll he'll go to a warlike stance or whatever it is over. Or he'll go to war over this if people start to investigate him. I think it's obvious that people are going to investigate him. And, and, and frankly, that is kind of the role of some of these committees. That's why they exist is, you know, not to overthrow the president, but to investigate wrongdoing. You can even support your president 
and still say there is no way you have eyes on every corner of what your administration is or should be doing, and it's our job to fill in those gaps. So, yeah, the idea of having a more robust oversight process is the way that this is supposed to work, even when everybody is working together and is feeling pretty good about the whole situation, which is not where we are right now. But, yeah, there is the danger that if you go too hard on some of these probes and there seem a certain subject subset of the population is going to see them all as completely politically motivated and completely substanceless no matter what you do. And that's just true of both sides of the aisle right now because we're in such a polarized time. But if you feed that, if you're the Democrats and you feed that sort of anger, you are just shooting yourself in the foot. So you kind of have to decide, OK, well, what's the sweet spot, right? We can't not investigate him at all because that would be irresponsible and, you know, not what we stand for. But we can't just decide to throw out, you know, 100 subpoenas on day one because we feel like it. Because then, as one aide was telling me this week, you know, he wants us to get in the mud with him like that. Like, why would we do that? That's just basically, it's political suicide. You've been listening to another episode of Can He Do That? The third one this week, if you've been paying attention. And for all that hard work, we ask one favor of you. Please share it with at least two to three other people that you know who might like this too. Thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the patient, kind, thoughtful Carol Alderman, with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon.